So it's good to be together and um, great to see you here this morning. It's um, not so nice as yesterday, but it's sort of still warm and muggy, isn't it? And um, so we're going to have a great time this morning. So this morning, um, this is uh, part of our series, The Way to Life. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning, uh, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through to uh, 30. So let's read this together. The words will come up uh, in a moment uh, behind me on the screen. And so you won't have to look at your Bible if you don't have one in front of you. So Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 to verse 30. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for the whole of your body to go into hell. Wow, that's a bit strong, isn't it? So we're going to unpack uh, this passage together. Um, if you're here for the first time, you have chosen a great Sunday to come along. <laughs> what a Sunday. Jesus raises the bar on sex and lust. Wow, you heard it here first. So back in the 80s... Uh, uh, these sort of, our sort of churches, small churches, uh, house churches, uh, were starting uh, to, to grow. And uh, one, uh, the, someone wrote a book, a guy called Adrian Plass wrote a book, The Sacred Diary of Adrian Plass. And it was really someone who was part of a church like that. And he wrote a, a spoof daily diary of what it was like to uh, be in a church like that. So I'm going to read you uh, Sunday, December the 15th. This is what he'd written in the book. Our church is getting like an auction room. One blink and you get ministered to. Sit still and keep your eyes shining. That's my motto. This morning was Edwin Bilsford's fault. 45 minutes on sin. A record nine fruit gum talk. Halfway through, I was checking supplies when Edwin suddenly shouted, Lust! And made me drop my packet under the chair. Put my head down between my knees to locate it. Then couldn't get up because Doreen Cook pressed her hands down on the back of my head. She prayed that our despairing brother would move from darkness to light. <laughs> I was all for that. I couldn't see a thing. When she let me get up, she had one of those roguish Christian smiles on her face, came really close to re nearly giving us something to forgive me for. Everyone thinks I've got a big lust problem now. At coffee time, they all smiled reassuringly at me. So if you've got wine gums, be really careful today, okay? So this morning is going to be a little like going to the cinema to uh, watch the film Snakes on a Plane. There's no big surprises. The title gives it all away. But for some of you, perhaps the, the title is a trigger. Sex and lust. You see, too many people believe that God is a killjoy and anti-sex. 
Maybe we read the Bible, but we feel it uh, has little to say that's culturally relevant and such a hot potato in 21st century Britain. And when you hear Jesus saying that lust will cause up to end up in hell, that just sort of for you just really proves the point. I mean, what has the church got to say about this subject? Actually, I want to say this morning, God wants to speak into our preconceptions and he wants to help us see that to experience life as he always intended, uh, uh, there is something here that's going to help us and set us free. You see, Jesus really has come that we would have life and have it to the full. You see, Jesus doesn't soften the blow. He gives us a blast from both barrels, sex, lust. By the way, I'm not saying you're pointing, <laughs> pointing at you. He has some strong things to say which are relevant to us all, both individually and corporately. You see, first century Israel was no different to 21st century Winchester or Kingsworthy. Attitudes to sex and lust are still causing a problem of epidemic proportions. I don't need to reel off statistics, but just this morning I was just looking at some figures, and uh, uh, these are figures that you can find openly on the internet. Over 50% of men look regularly at pornography, whether once a week, once a month, or, or whatever. Over 50%. That's the, that's the sort of figure that you're looking at. And uh, the, the figure's no different for men in the church and outside the church. Shock. Of, the, uh, of all the people looking at internet pornography, a third are now women. The statistics are challenging. Lives. We know lives are devastated by adultery. High levels of un planned teenage pregnancies, the insidious damage caused by pornography on vast numbers of men of all ages and as well as increasing numbers of women. And anyone thinks, who thinks that all we need to do is legislate and educate people to handle these issues in a more mature way is delusional. You see, anybody who uh, remembers uh, the sexual revolution of the 60s and concludes that it was okay, actually it was an unmitigated disaster and we are still seeing the impact of that roll out through our society. In the middle of the chaos, Jesus speaks right into the heart of the real issues. He wants us to grasp God's original plan and purpose because it really still is the way to life. So I don't want you to switch off this morning. I don't want you to uh, just think it, this is around. Jesus has something to say to us that is gonna help us today. He knows what we're like, and that's why he says, you've heard this, but I tell you this. So this morning, I want us to catch what Jesus is saying, and I want us to consider four things. The first thing is what the world has to say about sex. The second is what the Bible has to say. The third is what Jesus says about lust. And then I want to land it by talking about the antidote that Jesus gives us. So the first thing is this. You've heard what the Bible says about sex. I mean, references to sex are literally everywhere. Uh, in the media, the arts, the sciences, the, the promise of sexual attraction is, is an advertising hook to get us to buy uh, certain goods. So uh, yesterday I uh, was watching something on the TV and the advert comes on and it's this, uh, basically is this cologne, this male perfume, that if I buy and wear, 
it makes me instantaneously attractive to women. So I'm, I'm wearing it today, so hold back. <laughs> Hold back, because you know it's true. And, uh, you know, if you, there are places, you see the adverts for holidays, that if you go on this holiday, you will turn into a bronze, I will turn into a bronze, uh, 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 basically some of the six-pack, and everybody, there are going to be women all over the place going, oh, wow, look at him swooning. Because you know it's going to happen, don't you? Because it's real. It's not true. It's not true, is it? It's just not true. Information on sex is part of our education system and it's going to increasingly younger age groups. And it's going, it's, that's happening because of the increasing sexualization of our society. At the same time, you see, the world tells us that sex is just an activity. It's a basic human instinct. We're just evolved animals. Sex is an urge, it's an itch to be scratched. The media portrays it as little more than a leisure activity. The language that we use conveys everything. Casual sex, friends with benefits, hooking up. That's people having sex with no intention of dating, of a relationship. And if you can't be bothered to find uh, an appropriate partner, spend time finding an appropriate partner, you can buy sex. Sex is just an activity. The world tells you that sex fulfills you. It's pleasurable and it'll fulfill you. You can choose to have sex with whom you want, when you want, when you want. It's our body. And we can do it as long as we don't break the law. The world tells us sex is harmless. It's good for us as long as it's between consenting adults who know what they're doing. And once we've established in today's society what consenting means, we're good to go. Is it true? Or have we been sold a lie? Is sex just an activity like work, squash, having dinner? Doesn't it connect us somehow with deeper emotions? Does sex really fulfill us? What about the other person? Is sex harmless? What about all those damaged by broken relationships? I remember my daughter when she went to university and uh, she lived in a house with six others and they're sitting around one night, they're chatting. Uh, around the room and uh, the issue of sex comes up and, and, and my daughter says, I, I haven't had sex. I, and she's got a fiancé, I haven't had sex, I'm waiting until I get married. Could have had a pin drop. Sort of little people starting to smirk around the room. People are incredulous. How can you be like that in today's society? Then another girl in the room says, actually I haven't either. I haven't had sex with anyone yet. And then someone else pipes up. I really wish I hadn't. It's done me such damage. I, you know, I, I, I wish I hadn't done that. I've been struggling. And the whole atmosphere in the room changed. Broken relationships. You see, what the world says leaves us with questions. So secondly, we need to hear what the Bible says about sex. And, and at Hope Church, we unashamedly believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that it speaks to us today, that it's relevant, and so that uh, Jesus speaking on this issue has something to say to today's society. We believe that. And uh, it has a lot to say about sex, and some of it is, may surprise us. Actually, sex is a God idea. It's not an animal urge. It's not there to maintain the species. God designed sex. God, uh, the Bible speaks of sex in the context of a physical union between a man and a woman committed to each other emotionally, mentally, and socially. And so Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, simply says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. In a marriage, 
the act of, in the act of sex, each partner unselfishly gives each other to the other person. It's, a, it's part of the way God mysteriously joins them together. Sex is a God idea. And sex is good. The Bible says sex is good, but it's a relationship with God that fulfills us. So God says sex is good in the same way he says that the stars and the planets and, and the world around us is good. I mean, it's profound. The world around us is profound. God, God says that sex is profound. And that, I want you to know the Bible isn't prudish. In Genesis chapter 22 to verse 23, we read that God creates Adam, uh, creates Adam, and then he creates Eve out of Adam, and then he brings Eve to Adam. They are standing facing each other for the first time. They're not wearing anything. They're naked. Okay? So that's what the Bible says. They're standing, looking at each other. And then when Adam sees Eve for the first time, he breaks out into poetry. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He is overwhelmed with desire. And God is standing there watching on. God isn't going, oh no, what have I done? Disaster. God is, this is good. In the context of a relation, committed relationship, sex is a beautiful thing. God, God delights in it. But I want you to hear this. The fact that the Bible says that, uh, that God created sex, isn't, it, sex isn't, it isn't sex that fulfills us. You see, with Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve's story is that they rebel against, they turn their back against God. Sex continues, but the, 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 the hole in their heart, the, the hole in their lives, the relationship with God is broken. And forever after, they're looking to fill this hole, this ache in their hearts for relationship with God. And so, as descendants of Adam with uh, uh, Carrying that ache in our hearts. The human race longs for something. And it, it won't be filled by possessions or wealth or sex or relationships. They won't fulfill us. It's a relationship with the God who created us that will fulfill us. Sex is good, but it's a relationship with God that fulfills us. The final thing the Bible, well, the Bible says lots of things, but another thing the Bible says is that sex is powerful. The world has a really low view of sex. The Bible says sex completes marriage. Two people become one flesh. In the, uh, in, uh, in the marriage service, the old version of the marriage service in the Church of England, it says, let no man put asunder what God has joined together. No man shatter, break apart this relationship which is cemented emotionally, physically, but it's, and, and legally in every way. But when you break it apart, it releases great power. It's, power, it's powerful. It's a, there's a danger to it. It's like when the atom was split. When the atom was split, great power was released. That came the, the nuclear bomb was, was first came from the splitting of the atom. That's, that's where it came from. Great power is released when, when what God has put together and cemented together gets broken. You see, sex is powerful. It's a powerful thing. It has an impact. It, in the, the, the Bible, it talks about, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6, you read it when you go home. Proverbs chapter 6, it talks about sex in the context of like fire. And it says fire. The Bible basically saying it's fire in a fireplace. That's the right place for it. It's good. You enjoy it. You get benefit. It's great. It's a beautiful thing. Last night, we were sitting around a fire pit, 
uh, at 11 o'clock last night or just before half past 10, sitting around a fire pit and, and looking at the fire, going, wow, this is great, amazing. But none of us went, oh, let's take it, oh, that's nice and warm. We don't do it because it's, it's catastrophic effect. Fire in the wrong place is damaging. And, and Proverbs uh, uh, chapter 6 says, when you, uh, sex in the wrong place is like taking fire into your lap. Damages, it's huge, devastating impact. Sex is good, but in the, the right context. You see, Paul writes to the Corinthian church who are struggling with issues of sexual desire. And he says, don't go that way. Don't get caught up in lust, lust because you will burn with passion. That's his sound, burn with passion. Because it's, it's damaging. In the right place, it's good, but in the wrong place, it's damaging. Sex is powerful. So having heard what the Bible says about sex, Jesus then, the third point, goes on to warn us about lust. And uh, he says, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, anyone who looks at a man lustfully, see, lust is a problem. It's not a light issue. When Jesus uses the word, he actually uses a word that actually doesn't actually mean sexual desire. Actually, the word he uses, he could have, but he didn't. He uses a word that means to long for or... Uh, to set our heart on. It can include sexual desire, but it, it's not limited to that. Obviously, he's using it in this context. He's talking at uh, the context of the passages about sexual desire, but he's basically saying, it's not, he's not saying sexual desire is wrong because there's context that sexual desire is okay because the Bible says it's good. What he's saying is it's, the lust is wanting something inappropriately. You see, the Pharisees were focused on the issue of adultery. They were like, if you, don't have, uh, if you just have sex with her, don't have sex with someone else's wife, you're okay, as far as God's concerned. Jesus was, no, 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 no. Actually, the law talked about don't cover your neighbor, don't lust after your neighbor's wife. They're, they're, they're just taking a little bit in the bit, no, we're comfortable with that, we've boxed it. We Jesus goes, no, 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 no. It's about the heart. It's about something going on inside. So what is lust? Lust is inappropriate and excessive desire. John Stott says this, we all know the difference between looking and lusting. We all know the difference. So I remember years ago walking through, uh, we used to live uh, on the east side of Southampton, I used to walk through Old Bursledon early in the morning and I'd go out praying and it was pitch black, no one had any lights on, it was dark. And I'd walk through uh, Old Bursledon and as I'm walking through, occasionally a light would go on. And, and as soon as the light goes on, you do that, don't you? You get, you get attracted to it. And I remember one morning looking, uh, walking uh, down through Old Bursledon, as I'm walking, a light goes on, I turn and it's a bathroom light and you can see a silhouette of something, it's a woman in a bathroom. And I, I sort of did that. That's not lust. You just, you just can't help it. That's an instinctive reaction. Lust is the second look, the third look, the fourth look, the fifth look. Lust is inappropriate and excessive desire. There's a passage in the Bible where, in Genesis 39, and it talks about Joseph, and it says, Joseph was well-built and handsome. I just want you to imagine I'm Joseph again. Well-built, well-built and handsome. And uh, he's working in Potiphar's. He's a servant in Potiphar's house, an Egyptian official. And uh, Potiphar's wife sees him every day. But there's a day. She takes, it says, the Bible says she takes notice of him. She says this, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. 
She took notes. She suddenly starts to go, ooh, look at him. I'm sorry, I'm sucking my stomach in at the moment. <laughs> look at him, ooh. And then she says, come to bed with me. And Joseph, Joseph, event, he just runs away. And uh, you can read what happens in the story in Genesis 39, 40, 41, see what happens. But Joseph runs away. But she lust starts from, uh, she notices, she sees, then she notices, she looks, there's a second look, there's a third look, there's a fourth look. She starts, something starts to happen in her heart. heart. There's a story in uh, uh, the Old Testament in, in Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, and, and David, the King David, he's out on his castle, uh, on his uh, palace roof. It's late at night, uh, uh, or it's in the evening, and he shouldn't have been there. And he's wandering around, and he's looking. He should have been. It says, uh, at the time uh, uh, kings go to war, David didn't. That's essentially what the passage says. So David should have been with his men, wasn't. And he's on his roof, and he's kicking his heels. And he looks out, and he sees this beautiful woman bathing. And instead of just looking away and walking, uh, uh, he, he actually looks and looks and looks, finds out her name, and then the rest of the story of, of, of him committing adultery and the damage it does to himself, his family, and people, are, people around him and the, and, and, and the nation is huge. It's all about lust is, lust is, it's all about starts with what we look at. See, lust is completely self-focused. The other person is just an object, a means to an end. And in the meantime, we're turning our back on the God who created us for committed relationship, that hole inside us that we're trying to fill with other stuff. God wants us, that's, that's what he wants to fill. So John Piper says this, lust is a sexual desire that dishonors its object and disregards God. Lust is a sexual desire that dishonors its object and disregards God. See, lust exposes a relational problem with others, but primarily with God. Lust is a problem. Lust pollutes. Jesus is clear, lust pollutes. He openly calls it sin. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, listen to this. Jesus says, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immoralities, theft, false testimonies, and slander. It's, it's what comes from the heart, Jesus says, that makes us unclean. Uncleanness stops us coming close and drawing near to a God who is holy, who is other than us, who is perfect. And so this is uh, uh, what the psalmist says about that. He says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Who may stand in the holy presence of God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. A heart, a pure heart. Uncleanness keeps us from drawing near to God. Uncleanness starts in the heart and works its way out into our actions and the things that we do. And that's why the Bible says God examines our hearts. He's interested in our hearts. See, lust damages relational intimacy, first and foremost with God. So Jesus has already said in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart, come, there's a place of intimacy with God. Maybe we're struggling with our intimacy with God. Maybe there's some issues that God wants to speak about. You see, it's easy to become polluted by lust, pornography, fantasizing, any desire that excludes God. 
Let me give you an example. Spending all that time fantasizing of Mr. Perfect, Miss Right, who will fall in love with us. They're going to meet our deepest needs for value, significance, and love. That fills our thoughts. We dream one day we'll... Well, the desire to marry someone who's going to love us is good, okay? But when it becomes all concerned that they are going to fulfill me, it's a problem because only God fulfills us. No person, let me tell you, we've been married for coming up to 30 years and actually been married to each other and it's not enough, is it? We need God. We need a relationship with God. It's only he who fulfills us. Finally, Jesus says lust puts us in peril. Any, we've seen any sexual desire in the wrong context. It's like take, taking fire into our laps. And so when Jesus uses the word for hell, he uses, I mean, you think, is that that's a bit strong? Really, Jesus? Lust, hell? Today's society? Oh, come on. Jesus uses the word for hell. He uses the word Gehenna. Everybody hearing him would have understood that Gehenna was also a word, the name of the rubbish dump outside Jerusalem. And the rubbish dump outside Jerusalem was called Gehenna, and it's where they threw all their rubbish, and they burnt it. And so this place, Gehenna, was constantly burning. They were constantly burning rubbish, full of smoke and fire, and you can imagine what it's like. So when people, when they heard him say that, talking about Gehenna, they immediately knew, they had visualized what he was talking about. When we get caught up in lust, what we do is we take fire into our laps, into our lives, and it has an impact. It starts, it burns, it's destructive, it damages. That's what happens. And so we see so many people in the world around us who have been damaged by this sort of stuff. Damaged. It's like, it's like fire, something burning, and it's destructive. It, it, lust puts us in peril. So here we go. Jesus provides the antidote. If your right eye causes you to sin, if your right hand causes you to sin, pluck it out, cut it off. Seems a bit extreme, doesn't it? So let me give you a a little example of what this is. So C.S. Lewis wrote a letter to someone in the 30s, and he used this as an illustration of lust. And he he said, you imagine uh, you're you're walking your dog, and you're walking your dog along, and we're called my dog Scampy. And um, so um, so walking the dog, and Scampy's, and there's there's a lamppost here. And, and Scampy goes to the other side of the lamppost, and, and, and he gets tangled, gets the, the cord gets tangled around him. And um, so the, as the owner, you're, you're like, no, no, the dog knows it's going in the right direction to the park, but it's tangled and caught up, but the owner can sit, and, and so the owner's looking to pull, him, pull the dog back, and that needs the dog to trust him, to enable to untangle him, to get him to walk free. That is what lust is like. We get caught, we get entangled by something. The Bible in Hebrew says it's about the sin that so easily entangles. It catches us, it ties us, it, it, it squeezes the life of God out of us. That's what it says in Mark chapter 4, that lust, it's almost like squeezes the life of God out of us. Breaks intimacy with God. And God, in his love for us, he doesn't want us to stay that way, so he, he gently is pulling us back and wanting us to come back to him so that he can set us free, that we can go the right direction to get it. So Jesus has, provides the antidote. And, that, and he starts off, Jesus starts, talks about the eyes. He says, um, it's about what we look at. He's speaking about what we look at. You see, men are aroused visually. 
But I, I want to tell you this. Women are no different once temptation has taken root in the heart. Job, Job chapter 31. Job uh, uh, is an Old Testament character and he says this. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. You can change that to boy. You know, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at another person. All of us should have that sort of attitude. And so we don't literally need to pluck our right eye out if we're battling and struggling. What we, what we do is we put the problem out of sight. That's what Jesus means. So if we're caught in pornography, internet films, books, magazines, or we struggle with fantasizing about stuff, what Jesus is saying, we need to put that out of sight. We need to put it out of the way. You know when that's a problem. When you're on the computer and someone walks into the room and you immediately close the screen down because you don't want them to see what you're looking at. Oh, it's not, it wasn't really. But I'd rather they didn't see that. And we can get caught in it. And we can get caught this way. I, I want to tell you, we are all human. David was a, a man after God's own heart. Okay, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. He commits adultery, he commits murder, he does some terrible things, and God says of him he's a man after his own heart. We, are, we can all get caught in this. And the, the trouble is, when we get caught in it, we, we feel shame. God never wants us to feel shame. He wants us to be free. Shame keeps us in the dark. It means we hide away, we don't bring our stuff ourselves into the light because we're fear of being exposed. Jesus wants to set us free. He wants to untangle us. He wants us to come and trust him. He doesn't want us to be fearful and full of shame. So Jesus wants us uh, to stop dreaming, stop looking at daydreams, uh, stop looking at porn. You know, there are things that can help us. Things are online tools like Covenant Eyes that you can put on your computer or apps or whatever that can help you stop looking at stuff. They, they monitor what you look at. Some of us need someone we can be open with and say, hey, would you help me? An accountability partner, would you help me? I'm really struggling with this, would you help me? And, and someone can say, you can meet up from time to time and say, how's it going? Yeah, struggling this week. I used to, I've had relationships with guys like that where people used to phone me or text me at times and say, I'm really struggling, please help me now. And I'd ring them, talk to them, pray for them. And what we'd have conversation, we'd meet up and we'd talk it through. Our eyes what we do with our eyes. With David, you see, um, the first thing is we, we do is we acknowledge the problem. We have to acknowledge the problem. The dog has to acknowledge, well, I'm, I'm struggling. If the dog keeps pulling, actually it's gonna, it's gonna cause harm. Actually the dog needs to recognize the problem and then the dog needs to come back to the owner. We need to recognize the problem, acknowledge the problem, and repentance is coming back to God. So David, when he has committed adultery, he's done this terrible thing. I mean, it's a terrible thing he does. He, he writes a psalm, Psalm 51. His psalm says, against you, you only, have I sinned. Well, no, he sinned against loads of people. The, the woman concerned, her husband who he had killed, her family, his whole household, the nation, everybody's been damaged by it. But he says, no, no, against you, you only, have I sinned. First and foremost, it's coming, repentance is coming to God and saying, God, help me. I need your help. I've, 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 I've missed it. The eyes. Jesus talks about the eyes. Then Jesus talks about the heart. So Jesus is it's all about what goes from the eyes goes into the heart, pollutes the heart. The heart gets polluted. And so Jesus uh, wants us to be a heart to be free. So Job, 
Go back to Job in the Old Testament. This is what Job says. Listen to this. If my steps are turned from the path, if my heart has been led by my eyes. Has, has our heart been led by our eyes? It's what we see. Our heart gets led by it if we're not careful. How does that happen? Well, Paul says the antidote is for Christ to dwell in our hearts by faith. Our hearts are to be so full. We're to be so uh, full of love for Jesus that actually, actually there's not much room for anything else. So whatever our circumstances, whether you're single, married, divorced, widowed, is Jesus enough for you? He, 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 he is enough for us. If he's enough for us and he's the center of our lives, actually these things uh, actually become, there. he can set us free. You see, in his love, he won't allow us to go on damaging ourselves. He gently is pulling us back to him. Come back to me. Come back to me. Come to me. Come and get right with me. And so the, in Hebrews it says, it talks about the sin that so easily entangles, that catches us, and it then says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Let him be the center of our gaze. Come back to him. Let him be the center of our hearts and lives. If he's center stage, lust has no room to grow. F fix our eyes on Jesus. And then we finally come to the hands. Jesus speaks of our hands, what we do with our hands. That comes from uh, we've seen something. Something's happened, our hearts are polluted. And then we outwork it in the way we behave. And so there are certain things Jesus says. Uh, he, isn't, he isn't really saying, chop your hand off. He's saying, cut that out of your life. So don't go to places. There are some People who don't do you any good. So in Corinthians, Paul says, bad com a good company, uh, a bad company corrupts good character. Let's get that right. Bad company corrupts good character. There are some people who are not healthy for us. They may not be bad people, but they're just not healthy for us in terms of relationship. And so we need to be careful what we do. There are some places we shouldn't go. So if you're, ask, you say, you're saying to yourself, oh, I'll be all right. I can go to that club. I'll be okay. I'm sure I'll be fine. I, I, it's not going to be a problem to me. You know, I'll be fine. Let me suggest, if we're starting to have that conversation with our head, in our head about it, probably we didn't ought to go. Probably a, probably a moment to go, actually, I think I'll give it a miss. The Bible is full of encouragements in terms of sexual desire. It says, flee temptation. Run away. <laughs> so Joseph, when Potiphar's wife is going to come to bed with me, he doesn't go, oh, I'll have a think about it. He doesn't talk to her, doesn't negotiate. He runs away. Best thing he could have done. Run away. So, don't send inappropriate texts or images. Guys, be friendly. Don't flirt. Women, make yourselves attractive, not seductive. We all know the difference in those areas. So, I want to read as we come in to finish and maybe John um, and musicians come out and we're going to sing a song in a moment but there's a Galatians I was reading this this morning um, and this is I just want to read you some verses Galatians chapter 5 for freedom Christ set us free stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't get entangled. Listen to this. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So God is saying to us today, he knows this is a battleground for us all, okay? If there, is, there isn't a guy in this room, okay, who hasn't struggled with the issues of lust, and if they say that's not true, I, I don't believe you, okay? Because cause I think we're visually, guys are visually, but I want to say, women, I, this is an issue for you as well. And you may not want to admit it, but it's true. And this is an issue that's true in our society. Our society is rife with this problem. It's devastated our society. And Jesus wants us to unentangle us and wants us to be free. And as Christians, we can get easily caught up in it. And when we do, we hide away. We try to hide stuff away. We, we, we don't let people into our lives. We shut areas down because we're, uh, we don't want to... Jesus says, if you walk in the light as I'm in the light... He wants us to walk in the light of season. So as, he, as we come to his presence, he lights up parts of our lives and we go, oh wow, help me, forgive me. I acknowledge, made a mistake, can we put it? He doesn't, he doesn't want us to be guilty. We've all made mistakes. I have made the most horrendous mistakes in my life. In my early, I've just made some terrible mistakes as a young man. Terrible mistakes. But God was merciful, forgave me. And so whatever you've done, David committed the most horrible stuff and yet the Bible says afterwards is God's summary of David he was a man after my heart because he he came to him and received forgiveness because on the cross Jesus died for us he took our punishment Jesus who had never sinned took our wrongdoing our wrong thinking our wrong attitudes our horrible hearts he dealt with the the the, the wrongdoing on the cross he took the God's punishment for our sin that we might receive forgiveness and freedom and liberty and we might live free of the chains. And so God wants us to fix our eyes on Jesus. He wants us to guard our heart because it's the wellspring of life. And he wants us to flee temptation. This is what the psalmist says, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So I'm going to hand over to John. John's going to lead us in a song. We're going to break bread in a moment, and that's an appropriate way. Uh, Alan will lead us through that, but it's an appropriate way to respond to God, say, Jesus, you did this for me. You set me free. But this song that we're going to sing, Purify My Heart, is, is a, it's a, one of the few songs that declare... It's an old song, some of you may not know it, but it's an old song that declares our desire to walk as God intended and that we've made mistakes. So purify my heart, change me from within that I might be the person that you want me to be.